well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards, and uh, yeah, we are going to be talking about some infringements today, as we often do here on this program, specifically um, the charges that the 65-year-old man in New York is now facing, the uh, guy who shot this uh, mugger. You know, we talked about this yesterday. The uh, family of the guy who was shot says, we don't blame the armed citizen. We blame the state of New York for not helping our relative uh, who suffered from mental illness, who cycled in and out of jail and mental health facilities, but never really got the uh, help that he needed. Well, as it turns out, the 65-year-old man uh, is now facing charges, not murder charges, although apparently uh, the DA in Queens, Melinda Katz, is still weighing charges for the shooting. No, right now, the 65-year-old in question is facing a, a number of counts for uh, un permitted firearms yes apparently some of the uh, gentleman's gun collection was properly permitted in new york state but uh, other firearms that he owned were not he did not have a, a premises license or a, a handgun license for uh, some of the firearms in question which i gotta tell you I, I mean again i'm not a fan of gun registration to begin with but this strikes me again as a little absurd that in new york city you have to have a special permit or a different permit for every firearm that you own. Yeah, there's no indication this guy was a prohibited person or anything. He just didn't jump through all of the hoops and hurdles and barriers that New York City had and has placed in the way of legal gun owners. So we're talking today with Peter Tillum, an attorney in New York who is uh, challenging uh, not only the uh, permitting requirements, uh, but the lengthy delays in processing permit applications. We're going to get to the bottom of some of uh, New York's gun laws and find out what Peter thinks about uh, this case in just a second. Before we do, however, you know, when you make choices about where to put your hard-earned dollars, you're supporting not only the company that made the product, but the values and the principles of that organization. It's easier to flip a switch against a company when they blatantly conflict with your values, as we have seen uh, many companies recently. But do you make an effort to do business with the companies that support what you believe when you can well, do yourself a favor and give Defender Ammunition Company a shot. These guys are veteran-owned and operated. Every person on their staff is military-connected. They are huge supporters of our military community, backing causes that are actually making a difference in the lives of those that have served. In fact, the profits from all of their logoed gear goes directly to the charities that they support. This company is one to back. Their ammo is top-notch. Their customer service is great. What other shipping department offers handwritten thank-you notes to their customers? Give Defender Ammunition a try. And I promise, once you give these guys a shot, you will not be going anywhere else. Check them out at DefenderAmmunition.com. Now let's uh, pick up our conversation with Peter Tillum, uh, New York attorney, about this uh, case out of Queens, which to me was a uh, case of self-defense. The DA in Queens may see it very differently. But again, right now, the 65-year-old in question facing charges not related to the shooting, but to simply possessing firearms in his home without the proper paperwork, a crime that could send him to prison for years. Take a look and a listen. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your time, sir. Cam, always a pleasure to be with you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. So, I, you know, listen, I know that uh, this individual in Queens is not your client, um, so you might not be able to speak to uh, all of the specifics of this case, but one of the things that really struck me about this, so this 65-year-old man right now has not been charged with any crime related to shooting this would-be mugger, but he is facing apparently 25 counts of unregistered firearms. 
What really struck me about this, Peter, is that according to, I think it was the New York Post, the story that I saw, uh, I guess six of this guy's long guns he had premises permits for, but there were a number of handguns that he did not have permits for, a number of long guns he did not have permits for. I don't understand New York City's laws. First of all, I don't, I don't, I don't like the idea of a premises permit to begin with, but are you telling me that in New York City, you have to go through this onerous process for every single firearm that you own? That is unbelievably true, but true. So in order to buy a rifle or a shotgun in New York City, besides the fact that they have an absolute ridiculous assault weapons ban, which I think, you know, their limit in the city is either five round or seven round magazine, something ridiculous. The fact is that you both, New York has both uh, registration and permitting. So in New York, it's not enough to just have a license. Uh, the license that you have, for example, uh, for a handgun has the serial, the serial number of each firearm that you're authorized to possess printed on the back of that license. And I've actually had clients, believe it or not, that have had gun licenses, which under New York law, it says it's a complete exemption to any weapons charge, but then get charged with possession of an illegal weapon because it's not registered to them. So they can legally possess a firearm. They they can pass a background check. They're not prohibited. But because they haven't registered that particular firearm, that's a felony offense in New York. And I want to make sure that people understand this, too. This isn't some misdemeanor. This is a felony charge. They they throw people in prison over this. Correct. You know, I, again, I mean, we rail against licensing registration schemes all the time. This is a perfect example, I think, of the dangers of these systems, because here you have somebody who again, is a legal gun owner, right? He went through the proper paperwork and all the procedures for six of the 30-some-odd firearms that he owns, but he's not a prohibited person. But that might not be enough to keep him from prison uh, in this case. And if you're facing 25 counts, I got to ask, I mean, as an attorney, I, I'm a, as a non-attorney, I'm assuming that a lot of those charges would be uh, wrapped up into some sort of, you know, plea bargain. Uh, that, that's generally what happens in these cases, right? Or or not? Correct. No, correct. And, and I think Probably a lot of them are duplicative. I haven't looked at the uh, particular charges in this case, but generally a person can be charged with multiple counts for each firearm. Uh, maybe uh, one count of illegal possession uh, as a felony, one count of illegal possession as a misdemeanor. Uh, I believe this happened in Queens. They tend to pile on the charges in Queens. Uh, they, they treat it like a law school problem. Okay, how many possible charges can we think of? But in reality, that's not going to change what's going to ultimately happen with the case. And it's not clear to me, and, and I've, I've actually fought these cases in Queens, it's not clear to me that the jurors and the judges necessarily, necessarily agree with all these crazy laws. And we've had clients that were um, indicted by the Queens County uh, District Attorney's Office, by Queens County Grand Juries, and we have uh, been very successful in fighting those. It's good to hear. I mean, and, and so that brings me to the, the case that we uh, had you on to talk about uh, a few weeks ago, right? Because you've got this challenge going on. You've got a number of plaintiffs who are challenging the permitting and licensing schemes in New York City. What exactly are, are they trying to change in New York City? Well, one of the big problems is that New York State has a law that says that you have to decide a gun license application within six months. And New York City, re and New York law doesn't have any teeth in that. It doesn't say, okay, what's going to happen if you don't? Right. It does say 
you have to notify the applicant about what's happening and why it's taking more than six months if you go past that six-month date. Well, New York City is routinely taking a year and a half, and nobody hears anything about, oh, by the way, uh, here, here's the delay we ran into. And so our suit seeks to bring New York City into compliance with what we believe is New York state law, but also what I believe is the absolute outside maximum under Bruin for what could possibly be constitutional. How could it possibly be constitutional to allow a person to, to, to make a person wait more than six months for them to exercise a constitutional right? Absolutely right. You know, and I, I think that, you know, the Supreme Court couldn't possibly imagine when they said, OK, permitting uh, schemes such as shall issue permits uh, are OK. I don't think they had any idea what kind of cesspool they were wading into in places like New York City and New, and New York State generally. Yeah, I, I suspect you're right. Um, but I hope that these justices are getting a crash course in uh, what these gun laws actually look like in practice. And, you know, listen, I know it's not a legal defense here, but is it your opinion that the laws in New York are, I mean, listen, if it's taken a year and a half, right, if there are all of these barriers that the city and state puts in place of, of legal gun owners or, or those would-be legal gun owners, at some point, Peter, how many, again, you know, generally law-abiding people, they're not out there ready to commit violent crimes, but how many of them just throw up their hands and say, forget it, it's not worth it. I'll run the risk of, you know, being caught exactly like uh, this uh, gentleman in Queens is, um, but I, I want to be able to protect myself in my home or maybe, you know, uh, with a uh, carrying a firearm around, and I can't wait a year and a half to hear back from the city. I can't wait uh, you know, for these interminable delays and to go through all of these, uh, you know, uh, run this nav you know, maze of red tape before I can exercise my rights. Are, are people do you believe that people are simply saying forget it, they're throwing up their hands and choosing to break the law because it's so difficult to comply? We we know that's happening. And and I'll, I'll point to examples. This particularly happened during the pandemic. And remember, it was almost impossible at that point to get a uh, permit. A lot of the the a lot of the permitting uh, government agencies were were closed or operating with skeleton crews, and uh, then you had the summer of riots in uh, in uh, the summer of 2020, and people went and bought ghost gun kits and completed firearms, uh, handguns in New York, which basically is a felony. It's a, it's a felony in New York State to touch a handgun, to have one in your home, unless you both have a license to possess one, and that that particular firearm is registered to you. So these people, um, and for understandable reasons, threw up their hands, law-abiding people, and ordered ghost gun kits. They saw what was going on in the city of New York, and the city was literally burning. And they said, and other cities were burning, and they said, you know what? I'd rather be carried by six than, than uh, I'd rather be tried by 12 than carried by six. And I'm going to take my own safety seriously and, and get myself a handgun any way that they possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, this uh, New York post story, apparently the, uh, the, the, the gun that was used by uh, Charles Foner, he says he bought back in the 1990s, but uh, you know, he said that the reason why he was carrying was because he was concerned about crime. And as the uh, the New York Post reported, overall crime within the 102nd precinct, which includes the scene of Wednesday shooting, is down 4.2% this year, but is up nearly 50% from 
from two years ago. So, you know, those concerns from New Yorkers about crime seems to me are legit. Uh, Those are reasonable concerns that New Yorkers have. I grew up in the city of New York. I lived in New York uh, during the 70s, in New York City during the 70s. And I went to New York City public schools during uh, the 70s and 80s. Uh, And I can tell you, and I was a prosecutor in the 90s. And we saw the homicide, the number of homicides in the city in the early 90s go from the low 2000s per year down to uh, 600s. And I can tell you that shootings are on the rise. It's a very serious problem in New York. People are understandably concerned. We see a lot of mentally ill people acting up on the subway. There was another high profile case. This guy Neely was uh, strangled. Uh, by a uh, U.S. Marine. He died, unfortunately. Uh, But this was a violent, uh, homeless, uh, mentally ill person on the subway who he tried to uh, restrain. And so there seems to be an attack, by the way, in New York City on law-abiding citizens defending themselves. New York took the approach after Bruin that, okay, the Supreme Court says we have to give you a gun. We'll give you a license to, to possess a gun. But we're going to pass a law that makes it so you can't carry it anyplace. And that law has been challenged. And largely, uh, it has been found to be unconstitutional. And so now the new approach is going to be, OK, if the courts are saying we have to give you the gun and we have to give you uh, the license, we've got to let you carry it every place. We're going to make sure that, you know, if you use that gun, even in self-defense, we're going to drag you through the mud. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I, I think that's I, I think that is a perfect analysis of what the uh, the state is trying to do, because again, right now they're trying to I think flout the Supreme Court decision in Bruin, but again, the intent is as few concealed carry holders as possible, uh, and if they are dragged kicking and screaming into you know a true shell issue regime, I think you're exactly right. They're going to make it as legally dangerous to uh, protect yourself or others uh, from a deadly threat. Right? You you too. Uh, could face charges. And and this, I think, is a perfect example of, you know, 25 counts of illegal weapons possession. I think they're trying to portray this guy as some sort of, you know, armed nutball uh, who was, you know, holed up in his apartment with his arsenal of 30 firearms, which, by the way, in Virginia, we call that a collection. I'd like to <laughs> tell the New York Post that's not an arsenal. That's a collection. Uh, but again, to, you know, to 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 demonize this guy and really by default, I, I think to demonize all of us who carry a firearm in self-defense uh, to denormalize the exercise of this fundamental civil right. If they, you know, if they can't do it through the law, they're going to try to do it through the court of public opinion. But I'm curious. I mean, you're there, Peter. I'm not. Uh, I, I certainly know how gun owners, uh, you know, online have reacted to these charges. But it seems to me like this might be um, an opportunity to point out how unreasonable, how lacking in common sense. New York's gun control laws are when they could put a 65 year old man in prison for not having the right number of permission slips for the guns that he that he owned. Yeah, listen, I agree with you uh, completely. I, I think that there is so much to do in New York. You know, as you as you noted, we brought a lawsuit against New York City. There are a lot of lawsuits right now going on. Uh, and uh, to a certain extent, they've been successful in that after Bruin, they passed a whole bevy of extra laws that um, we are now challenging, which means that we haven't gotten to the things that we should have gotten to after Bruin. 
like the assault weapons ban, which is still going on in New York, and all these many numerous gun laws. But we're trying to get back to where we were before the Supreme Court uh, decided Bruin. And once we get there, we can really go on the offensive and start attacking this. Our lawsuit is really about that. It's about the permitting delays. And, and as I mentioned the last time, we also have another aspect of it, which New York City will accept the driver's licenses. And driving is a privilege, right? The courts have said that. Driving is a privilege. Owning a gun, possessing a gun is a constitutional right. They will accept the driver's license of every other state and probably any other country. But if you have a gun license issued by a county court judge in Westchester County, just across the border from the Bronx, five minutes away, and you bring that gun into New York City, you were committing a crime. They will not accept the gun license from any other state. They will not accept the gun license from any county outside of New York City. And so our our law our our, our lawsuit seeks to challenge that. Which, you know, by the way, would have implications or could have implications far beyond Westchester County and Manhattan, right? Because if if uh, if we're now talking about the recognition of the right to carry beyond these arbitrary borders, I mean, that seems to me like you'd make that same argument when it comes to, you know, me in Virginia not being able to take my gun into Maryland, right? Uh, all of a sudden, my Second Amendment rights disappear when I cross the state line. No other rights treated that way. So, so why should our right to keep me arms be treated uh, uh, not even as a second class right? That's now you're treating it simply as a privilege. Well, that's 100 percent right. And that's we have two people from New Jersey that have licenses uh, in New Jersey that are plaintiffs in our lawsuit. So we're not only seeking to uh, to have recognition of gun licenses from other counties, but we're we're asking the court to direct New York that the Constitution requires them to accept the gun licenses of every other state. So this would have national repercussions. Uh, I, I'm not I don't even want to say if we're successful, because I believe that at some point we will be successful. This is what the law is. Uh, it is very clear to me that the Constitution does not prohibit, does not permit the government to prohibit someone from bringing a gun across their border. Uh, you have interstate commerce issues. You have um, issues involving the Second Amendment and just the basic constitutional right to be able to travel and, and to protect yourself while you're traveling. But you also have uh, the full faith and credit clause of the Constitution, which the, the government gives uh, full faith and credit to to everything else, driving, uh, marriage, etc. But we have a constitutional right to possess a gun and suddenly it stops there. So I believe we're going to win this lawsuit. Listen, I, uh, I, I, I'm confident as well. Um, you know, I might take, uh, you know, a court of appeals. I'm not sure, given the anti-gun attitudes that we see. But uh, then again, I mean, listen, we've had two judges in New York that have declared the red flag law unconstitutional. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to preclude uh, uh, any outcome here. Where Where is this case right now? And what is this case called? If we want to, you know, try to follow along online, how do we how do we follow this? So the name plaintiff, Meisner, Meisner versus New York City, it's M-E-I-S-S-N-E-R versus New York City. And uh, Meisner is a former prosecutor. Uh, he's a guy who lived in New Jersey. He had a handgun in New Jersey. He was simply seeking, and I don't recommend anyone doing this, but he was simply seeking to move to New York State, to New York City. And he put in an application. He, he had to leave his, his guns in, in New Jersey and put in an application, two different applications, one for his uh, shotgun and one for his handguns. And uh, ultimately, um, 
He waited a year and a half. He was someone with a completely clean record. As I mentioned, a former prosecutor, local prosecutor, former assistant attorney general. And he waited uh, more than a year and a half. When we filed the lawsuit, he got the uh, he got the permit within one week, uh, one week. But uh, they they thought that that was somehow going to mollify us. The fact is, we brought it as a class action lawsuit, and we are serious about seeking uh, the records to understand exactly how long people are waiting, how many people are waiting, and how deep this problem is. Because we believe that is a very serious problem that affects a lot of New Yorkers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, I mean, both those who are sort of, you know, caught in this bureaucratic nightmare and, and those who say, forget it, it's not worth it to begin with. Uh, and, and, you know, they put themselves in legal jeopardy because of these unconstitutional laws that are on the books in New York. Um, so so what is the status of, uh, of Meissner right now? I know this was filed a, a few months ago, so we're still in the early stages, right? Very early stages. And, you know, I think that that gun owners in general are frustrated with how long lawsuits <laughs> Uh, take. Uh, we don't even have an answer from the city yet. I believe the answer is due in just a, just about a week or so, okay. uh, maybe two weeks. So we're expecting uh, New York City to put in their official legal answer to our complaint. And uh, we'll learn a lot from that. And then the next stage would be the discovery phase, which I think is something that they're trying to figure out how to avoid. Uh, because we that will let us get into the weeds on exactly how deep this problem is. All right. Well, listen, we're going to keep uh, paying close attention to this case. I'd love to have you back when the uh, when the state responds so we can uh, hear what they have to say about these uh, delays or what they don't have to say about these delays. But, uh, you know, uh, Peter, last question for you. Um, just based on your experience here, what what do you think? What do you see happening uh, in this case against uh, Charles Foner, the guy who's now been charged with illegal possession of, of weapons, uh, but so far has not been charged with the uh, the shooting of that, uh, that that mugger? Well, first of all, New York has very good new, so use of force laws, believe it or not. It's not the problem with the laws. It's the problem with the application. It's a problem with the prosecutors in New York. And so I don't expect him to be charged uh, with anything involving the shooting. So I think that that's a good thing. You do have a right under New York law to use deadly physical force to terminate uh, a robbery, which this was. Uh, so he has what I view as a defense to the shooting. As far as the weapons possession, it's it's a problem because the fact is it's going to be very easy for them to prove that he possessed his gun, especially since he shot some with it, someone with it. And that is a very, very serious crime in New York, punishable by just one count is punishable by up to 15 years in jail to possess a loaded firearm outside the home in uh, in New York State. Is that Even if you have no prior criminal record? Now, so, is, is that something that you can challenge at trial? Like, can you can can you say, listen, these laws are unconstitutional to begin with? Or is that something that you would need to do? Uh, let's say, you know, post-conviction relief uh, and, and make that that uh, constitutional argument. No, I think you could make this before the trial. In okay. the trial motions, and it's something that I would uh, if I was his attorney, I would certainly do. But I would also say this. I think I've said this before and we've had a lot of success. New Yorkers are not on board necessarily with all of this nonsense. And so we've had a lot of success with our clients going into the grand jury and say, yes, I did possess this gun. And this is why. And the, the, and look what happened. In, in, in this case, it saved my life. 
and let the jury decide. And, and there's, a, there's a concept called jury nullification, and we see it a lot in New York. Let the jury decide whether they want to be the ones to make the decision to throw this person in jail. And I think that a person like this, who has a clean record, if he goes in and tells a story and is honest, uh, the jury may not buy this. And uh, we, as I said, we've had a lot of success doing that. You've actually had juries come back with no bills. Uh, wow. Well, that that's actually really good to hear. Uh, yes. You know, hopefully justice will be done uh, in this case. And uh, Peter, as always, sir, I appreciate you spending some time with us. And um, please let me know when you hear back from the uh, the city of New York, because we would love to have you back to talk about the uh, the latest in the Meisner case. We sure will. And, you know, Cam, we just appreciate everything you're doing. We're behind enemy lines and uh, we appreciate you uh, bringing these issues to the forefront for the rest of the country. Hey, listen, you know, this is a a, our right to keep in our arms is the the same right as far as I'm concerned, whether you live in New Jersey, whether you live in Los Angeles, whether you live in New York City. Uh, And just because I live in a state that has pretty good gun laws for now, you know, I've got uh, I've got a lot of family and friends in these uh, battleground states. But, you know, again, I mean. This right is important. We're talking about fundamentally our right to protect ourselves and the people that we love. And when we see these, you know, the family of the guy who was shot actually came out and I think they spoke to the New York Daily News and said, we don't blame the shooter. We don't blame the armed citizen. We blame the state because our relative needed help. He was mentally ill and he kept cycling in and out of jail in these mental health systems. And I did some research, Peter, you know, 2,800 inpatient state run beds in New York City. I think back in 2009, down to 1,300 inpatient mental health beds uh, in 2022. That's a huge issue, right? When we talk about mental health, it's not a deflection. It's actually trying to get to the root of one of the reasons why crime is on the rise in places like New York City. Um, And so, you know, listen, I find it not only an affront to our constitutional rights, but I find it an affront to our, our, our ideas of basic decency, of common sense, uh, when we blame the legal gun owners for the actions of violent criminals when we make it impossible for them to protect themselves while the system refuses to deal with dangerous individuals, you know, yeah, I'm going to fight for, you know, the rights of gun owners. I'm going to shine a light as, as often as I can on these injustices. But again, I'm not an attorney. You're out there in the courtroom doing the, uh, the, the dirty work. So I thank you for what you're doing on a daily basis too. Well, thank you. And we appreciate it. Absolutely. Peter, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks for your time again today, sir. Thank you. I appreciate Peter joining us on the program. Man, he is so good. I'd love to have him on every day. I just don't think I can afford the hourly billing rate. Uh, anyway, we're going to have Peter back, though, I, I promise, in the very near future. Uh, right now, though, let's turn our attention to today's armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. Actually, before we get to that, I know you guys have definitely noticed the U.S. dollar continues to buy less, right? Last year, the average IRA and 401k balance fell by more than 20%. If we've learned anything from the past few years, it's that anything can and will happen. Well, here's something that may help. A gold IRA. Gold may be a great option for you. That's right. Physical gold in your IRA. Many central banks are buying tons right now. What does that tell you? Well, Augusta Precious Metals is a gold IRA company that offers its customers the opportunity to invest in gold. You can call Augusta Precious Metals and learn how a gold IRA can help you. If you've saved 100000 or more for retirement, call Augusta Precious Metals and get their free ultimate guide to gold IRAs. Tell them you heard it on our show, and they'll give you a free gold coin when you open a gold IRA. Contact Augusta Precious Metals and diversify your retirement today. Call 855-222-4997. That's 855-222-4997. Again, Augusta Precious Metals at 855 222 4997.
All right. So today's recidivist report comes to us from uh, California. You know, Governor Gavin Newsom, uh, after this uh, shooting in uh, Florida not long ago, blamed uh, permitless carry, which is not an effect yet, right? So I guess if he's going to blame a uh, Florida law that's not an effect for a crime that happened in Florida, well, we can then blame the failure of California gun control laws for all crimes committed in California, right? Including this one. Two suspected gang members arrested in connection with a shooting in Santa Rosa, California. Yeah. Now, not only did uh, none of California's vaunted gun control laws stop these alleged gang members from conducting this uh, shooting in the South Park neighborhood of Santa Rosa, but we also see how these soft on crime policies in California are exacerbating the problem here. According to the uh, Press Democrat, investigators believe the victim in the shooting, a 17-year-old whose injuries were not life-threatening, was targeted in a gang-related attack. Shooting took place uh, Tuesday night around 7 p.m. Witnesses said two suspects uh, fled the scene before police arrived. They found multiple spent shell casings in the road where the shooting was reported to have uh, occurred, but neither the suspects nor the victims were found. Uh, as the investigation got underway, officers were told that the victim was being taken to a local hospital in a private vehicle uh, after being shot in the leg. Police contacted the victim, who was in stable condition. Uh, detectives who took over the investigation, quote, were able to determine that the shooting was gang-related and used surveillance video to identify two suspects, 19-year-old Ramiro Maldonado of Petaluma, California, and a 17-year-old from Santa Rosa, who, according to the Press Democrat, was on felony probation for a previous gang-related shooting. He's 17. How does a 17-year-old get probation for a gang-related shooting. Oh, I know how. He lives in California, right? Where law-abiding gun owners are seen as a much bigger problem than, I don't know, gang members committing drive-bys. Uh, Maldonado booked in the Sonoma County Jail on suspicion of attempted murder, participation in a criminal street gang, as well as promoting criminal street gang activity. The 17-year-old suspect booked into the Sonoma County Juvenile Hall on suspicion of attempted murder, participation in a criminal street gang, promoting criminal street gang activity, as well as violating juvenile probation. Shocked that no firearms offenses included there. Again, given all of California's gun control laws to choose from, not one of them actually being applied to these suspects in this particular case. Yeah, and as the 17-year-old is charged with a juvenile, or charged uh, as a juvenile, I have a sneaky suspicion that once again, any uh, consequences from this shooting can be a slap on the wrist and a uh, see you back here soon. Today's Armed Citizen story. Now, I actually wrote about this at Bearing Arms on Thursday, but this is such an incredible story. I wanted to talk about it. I didn't want to just write about it. So this was in Little Rock, Arkansas, Memorial Day weekend where a mom shot a carjacker who attacked her family in a parking garage. This 37-year-old man comes up behind the family. Dad's putting a wagon, apparently, on top of the car. And the two kids are inside the car. Uh, mom is in the passenger seat. She's pregnant, by the way. When this 37-year-old man walks up in a parking garage and uh, uh, first attacks the husband, um, hitting him several times. He falls to the ground. He actually fractures a couple of ribs. And then the suspect jumped into the front seat of the vehicle, perhaps thinking that it was unoccupied. No, no, doesn't matter. As soon as he saw the woman there in the uh, passenger side, he assaulted her, punched her in the face 
a couple of times. That's when she drew her firearm. Kids in the back seat, husband on the ground. She drew her gun and shot her attacker, uh, hitting him multiple times. Uh, once in the head uh, and neck area, at least. Woman told police she called 911 the moment her attacker hit the ground. Uh, police say that the family was in town visiting Little Rock from their home in uh, Mississippi, not far from uh, Memphis. Uh, the 37-year-old in custody uh, at last report in critical condition is expected to face charges uh, once he is released. Uh, meanwhile, the family, uh, besides the fractured rib and the uh, bruises that they suffered as a result of this physical assault, they are all going to recover from their injuries. Uh, emotionally, I, I imagine this is going to be a pretty hard event to get through, uh, particularly for those kids. And I hope that uh, the family is able to get the kids some counseling. You know, being in a situation like that is scary enough as an adult. But when you're a child and you're not really able to understand everything that's going on, uh, again, I hope that they're able to get the help that uh, that they could probably use. Uh, and the adults as well. I mean, again, as gun owners, I, I don't know about you. I never wake up in the morning and think to myself, man, I hope today's the day that my life is threatened and I get to use my gun in self-defense. I will be perfectly fine if I go my entire life and I never have to draw my firearm. That's actually kind of what I'm hoping for. Just like I've got a fire extinguisher in my kitchen, got one in my truck, I hope I never have to use them either. They're there in case I do, but I'm not eager to see just how well my fire extinguisher performs, right? Same when it comes to acting in self-defense. Yeah, I'm prepared for the possibility that I might have to, but believe me, I'm not looking for a fight. I'm not looking for trouble, and I don't think this family was either. They were just enjoying a holiday weekend, getting ready to head back home. When all of a sudden this 37-year-old decided, eh, you know what, I got something else in mind. So I'm sure this was a traumatic event for mom and dad, too. But thankfully, again, this story had about as happy ending as you can find when a stranger assaults an entire family in a, a parking garage. Uh, he's in the hospital, soon to be in custody, and the uh, family, including those two kids, and one on the way, all safe and sound. Today's uh, good deed of the day uh, comes to us from, I believe this is a, a San Angelo, Texas, where the uh, San Angelo police are uh, praising a, a good Samaritan named Jordan Dozier, as well as a, a couple of uh, police officers there in San Angelo, for saving the life of a guy named Jimmy Towery. Uh, they posted on uh, social media on Tuesday that Towery was working underneath a vehicle when it slipped off of the jacks and landed on his chest. His wife, Shelly, called 911. Uh, Dozier, along with uh, officers Calvert, Cobbs, Crowder, and Morris, uh, got to the scene and were actually able to lift the vehicle off of Towery. Uh, as the department said, through their commitment, determination, and quick actions of Shelly Towery, Jordan Dozier and the officers, Towery regained consciousness, and he's doing fine. Uh, after the incident, uh, Shelly and Jimmy Towery was able, uh, were able to uh, reunite with uh, Jordan Dozier. Uh, that's the uh, picture there. You can see smiling faces for everyone involved. And again, that is such a scary situation. I'll, I will never forget when my wife and I were first married, she decided that she would take it upon herself to change the uh, front brakes in our car. 
And since she's, you know, a very stubborn individual, and I mean that in a very good way, I said, okay, let me know what I can do to help. Um, and we did not have the right Jack. Again, this is 28 years ago, 29 years ago. We, we, we didn't necessarily know better. We were just using the Jack he used to change the tire. And my wife is underneath the car and trying to, you know, get the wheel off. And I can see the car start to rock. And I grabbed her by her ankles and I dragged her out from underneath the car right before the Jack fell. Thankfully, she wasn't hurt at all. But, uh, you know, those, you know, those nightmares you have that just stay with you. Yeah. For 28 years on occasion, not on a nightly basis or even a weekly basis, but every now and then when I'm sleeping, my brain decides, you know what, let's give you this memory uh, and, and let's let you relive that moment. And it is, again, it's still terrifying. So for that car to actually come down on Jimmy Towery's chest, uh, for him to be here today uh, with his wife, able to thank the individuals who pulled him off. I mean, really, truly life-saving work there on the part of those officers. Uh, and that alert citizen, Jordan Dozier, and uh, in the right place at the right time, willing able to do the right thing. Jordan, we thank you for your very good deed. And that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. By the way, that was the last time my wife tried to change the brakes. Yeah. <laughs> so, no more additional uh, nightmares. Well, not any break-related nightmares anyway. Uh, I hope that you have a great weekend. Thank you so much for being a part of today's program. I'm looking forward to being back with you on Monday, but don't forget to check out BarryAndArms.com uh, between now and then because we've got you covered on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information. There is a lot going on around the country right now, but uh, we'll get you up to speed on everything that uh, is going to impact your right to keep and bear arms. And if you like what you see, Maybe not in terms of what we're reporting on, but how we're reporting on it. Uh, I would encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to barryandarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As I was saying, thanks for showing your support. We're going to give you exclusive content you won't find anywhere else because your support matters, and it really does make a difference. So thanks again. Until we talk again, be well, be safe, and be free. 